Today we continue our sermon series with that we know that we know that we know that in all things God is indeed with us. That when it's cloudy and storming outside, God is with us. When the sun is shining and it's a little bit warm, God is with us. And when it's dead quiet, God is with us. Today, we take a bit of a turn. We have been studying the second book of Samuel, and until this point, we have watched the rise of King David. We have seen how incredibly gifted and special and anointed King David is. We have seen the hand of God take a little shepherd boy and move him out of his place as last and put him into first place as the king. We have seen the unlikely shepherd boy defeat the Philistines, remind the people that it's not what it looks like, (laughs) but it's what God says it is. But today we take a little bit of a turn, a little bit of a twist, and we begin to see the downfall of a king. We begin to see that he has some weaknesses and moral failures. This is when we stop telling the stories in Sunday school, Dr. Kim. And when we get to seminary and we take a little bit of a deeper look at it, we go, that's in the Bible? So today we begin in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, in the first verse. I'm reading from the New International Version. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was. 
how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked her, Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with them, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, here we are to worship. Here we are to bow down. Here we are to say that you are indeed our worthy and our holy God. So fall fresh on us. Send a fresh anointing. Speak to our hearts and minds as you blow a fresh wind and a fresh fire through this place. So God, have your way. Make this your servant and hide her behind your old rugged cross. So that everything that is said and everything that is heard comes straight from you, O God. This is your servant's prayer. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. I tell you, as the world turns, scandal, the real housewives of Atlanta, nobody has anything on David. King David was the saint, he was the leader, he was the hero, he was the one who set the people free in another iteration of Israelite bondage. It was David who brought the tribes back together. It was David who set up this monarchy. It was David who was the man after God's own heart. 
as we grow up and we become a little bit more literate in the Bible and a little bit more smart about what is really being said and what is really happening, we realize that David is not who we thought David was all these years. Sort of Reverend Joy when we find out that the pastor is actually a human being. (laughs) Sort of like when we find out that our political leaders have actual backgrounds and lives and that sometimes they do not make the right decisions. Sometimes when we find out that the elders in the church had a life before they were elders in the church. You know, when I was growing up, uh, mom and dad had uh, prayer services in their individual churches, mostly on Wednesday nights, but sometimes at other times of the year and right before revivals and during revivals. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these old school prayer services, but it usually starts something like this. One of the mothers of the church will stand up out of her pew. And she will say first, giving thanks to God who is the head of my life. (laughs) And, And she will continue to bless the Lord who makes us and bless the Lord who sustains us. And then she will start to tell you about what God brought her through. <laughs> and, and if you listen closely, you might hear her say that the Lord delivered her from drugs. <laughs> you might hear her say that the Lord delivered her from poverty. You might hear her say that the Lord delivered her from domestic violence. You might hear her say that the Lord healed her from cancer or diabetes. You might hear her say that she has lived a little bit of life and that she's not as holy as you think she is. But it was during those times that the youngins among them realized that you did not have to be perfect for God to love you. It was a teaching moment, you see. It was an opportunity for those who were young in age and those who were young in spiritual maturity. It was an opportunity for us to realize that whatever your situation is right now is not what the end is going to be. It was an opportunity to know that if you messed up, (laughs) you didn't have to hide out. That if you messed up, you could come into the house of the Lord and you could lay yourself at the altar rail and somebody would come behind you and put their hands on you and remind you that you are the beloved of God and that God is with you, that God will never leave you nor forsake you and that whatever is going on in your life, God is better and more and can overcome whatever's happening in your situation. 
but we gotten too cute for church, Dr. Bob. <laughs> we get dressed sometimes in our Sunday best, sometimes in our usual, because, you know, we come into the house of the Lord as we are. But we act like we've got it all together. We act like we've always been holy, even though we heard you cursing, crossing the street, coming into the house of the Lord. We act like we've always been holier than thou. And that we always get it right. You see, this is the lectionary text for the day. The lectionary is a guide that pastors sometimes use to make choices about what they are going to preach. And this is one of the lectionary texts for the day. And I promise you that many of my colleagues, when they saw this text, they, they turned over into the New Testament to find something else to preach. <laughs> I mean, because really, let's, let's be real here. Who wants to talk about failure? Who wants to talk about bad decisions? Who wants to talk about the moral failings that we have in our lives and in our situations every day? We want to come to church, get our pat on the back, praise the Lord a little bit, and go on and be about our business and not be challenged and stay unchanged. But the text for today does not allow us that opportunity. It pulls us into an uncomfortable place when we have to realize that King David, the man after God's own heart, has committed rape and adultery. He was not doing what he was supposed to do. He was not where he was supposed to be. The king was supposed to be leading the troops into war, but he's so big and bad now. He's such a great warrior now that he can just lean back and let the others go into war on his behalf. Not doing what he's supposed to do, not where he was supposed to be. Last week we talked about God's plans and what happens when you get out of line with God's plans. You get yourself in trouble. And, and David has gotten himself in trouble. He, he has lost his way. He has gotten out of the will of God by not doing what he is supposed to do. David has lost his way. And he's bored. So he gets up and he starts walking around and he finds out. Oh, I have quite a view over here. Bathsheba is minding her own business. She is engaged in a spiritual practice. 
a ritual of cleansing herself before the Almighty God right after she has had her menstrual cycle. And if you go back to the original text, the Hebrew says, and I quote, David sent his messengers to take her. He sent them to go get Bathsheba to forcibly bring her into his house after he had already learned that she was married to somebody else, that she was in covenant with somebody else, that he had no business even looking at her. But because he was the king, he could do whatever he wanted to do. And in that day and time, it was like that for women, period. If a man said it, then so it was, and you were not your own. So knowingly, our hero, David, he, he takes like something to be conquered, like a city to be conquered. He takes Bathsheba from her house in the middle of a spiritual ritual. He brings her into her house and he rapes her. I know for some of you this is a really hard realization that we've never read it like this before, we've never heard it like this before, because the translators have cleaned it up for us so that we won't be so offended. But our hero, David, when he's done with her, he sends her home. And he thinks that his bad behavior is done and finished and he has no remorse that we know of in the text until he finds out that his mistake is going to be made known because she is pregnant. You know what happens when we do things we know we shouldn't do? And, and they put out situations that now we have to clean up that we have to deal with, we try to fix it when we wouldn't have had to fix it if we didn't do it in the first place. Oh, y'all never been in a situation like that? Y'all have always been holy, huh? <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil. <laughs> so he calls for Uriah, her husband, the problem is, it turns out Uriah is more righteous than David is. <laughs> that Uriah has a more firm sense of morality and a more firm sense of, of belonging in his military community. And he says, well, while my boys are out there fighting and the Lord is with them, because remember the ark is the presence of the Lord, the Lord is with them and they are out there fighting while all of this is going on. There's no way that I can be home and reward myself with spending some time with my wife. So he sleeps with the servants 
at the gates of the palace. And unwittingly ruins David's plans to fix his mistake. You see, our problems in this world with moral failings are not new. We just don't talk about them in church. We'd rather fight about the sexual orientation and gender identity of people than to deal with the deep and abiding issue of adultery in our communities. We'd rather claim that people are other and weird or strange and sinners than deal with our own sin of racism and sexism and homophobia and all the other isms that we have going on. Instead of dealing with our own stuff, we project to somebody else's stuff. And friends, it started before David. And until we're willing to deal with the stuff of life, until we are willing to talk about the hard things, until we are willing to tell the truth and shame the devil, until we are willing to deal with the the speck in our own eye instead of pointing to the plank in somebody else's eye, we are going to have this continuing issue. Every single time we breathe, we make a choice. Will we do it our way? Or will we do it God's way? Every single time we take a breath, we make a choice about whether we're going to walk in God's plan or our plan. Every single time we take a breath or take a step, we must decide whether we are going to be people who are after the heart of God or people who are after what we want. Uriah messed up David's plan so badly that... (laughs) David sent him to get drunk, thinking that Uriah's brain and heart are as jilted as David's brain and heart. And even in his drunkenness, Uriah is a man of strong morality. He is a man after God's heart. He is a man after the right thing, not the comfortable thing. But Uriah had to make that choice. David made a choice to satisfy himself. Uriah made a choice to satisfy God. So what's he going to be? 
what's going to be the defining hallmark of your life. Because God had always promised to be with David and because God always promises to be with us, David was able to overcome this situation and now we proudly boast about King David in Sunday school. And and we don't talk about his moral failings. We talk about the fact that he is the man after God's own heart, that he is the psalmist who sings lamentation and songs of forgiveness, but mostly songs of praise to God. That he is the one who made it. He was the eighth born, the last born in his family. He was supposed to have nothing at the end of the day. And he ended up with everything as the king. And we talk about David. We talk about Jesus as the son of David. It is from the shoot of Jesse, who is David's father. They come. And nobody ever says that David was an adultering, lying, wicked rapist. They say we should be like him in the way he worshiped God. Dance like David danced. You know why that happened? Because God made a promise to David that he would always be with him. That he would never leave him nor forsake him. That God's anointing on David's life would overcome everything. And do you know that God has made that same promise to you? That if you happen to lose your way, if you happen to get off track, if you happen to make a bad decision, if you happen to make the ungodly choice, that God is always with you. And you can always say, I'm sorry. You can always ask for forgiveness. And you can always be restored. Stay tuned next week for the rest of the story. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.